Good morning, everybody. Well, we probably just went afternoon, I think, just recently. I've been here since early this morning, but anyway, happy Easter. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek, if you don't know who I am, and uh, the lead pastor at Connect. It's just an honor to be with you today and celebrating a, a risen Lord, a risen Savior, and it's something that we should celebrate. Amen? Uh, what's funny about this, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce the subject, but it really needs no introduction because everybody knows what we're going to talk about on Easter Sunday, but our, our subject today is called He is Risen, and in fact, I, I need you guys to kind of have some silent prayers for me because every time Easter comes around, it kind of gets the... This, the knots in the stomach because it, it's, it's hard to come up with something new every year on Easter because you all know where I'm going. And so I need you guys, I need you guys help, you know, in this. And, and, and you could actually get into your Bibles and you could read the narrative of the story of Easter and you could just go home because it's so exciting, it's so good, but please don't go home, all right? Just hang on a little bit, all right? Uh, but what I want to do is I want to go underneath the story a little bit, and I want to kind of delve into some of the reasons. It's, it's doctrine, but it's really doctrine with legs. I really want to help people uh, grasp the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it affects and actually is the foundation for our faith. I have to kind of get all the spit out of my mouth because whenever you do that, and faithfulness. But anyway... I don't want to get, you know, that holy spit all over the front row. That's why nobody sits in the front row because they're scared of me. Uh, but anyway, it's the foundation of our faith and our faithfulness is this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as I, as I just get into that in just a few minutes, I first want to rewind and just kind of loosen us up a little bit and loosen me up a little bit. Frankly, that's the reality of what's going on here. And I want to ask a question. How many of you, by a show of hands, have done a little Easter egg hunting already? Anybody already done that? By a show of hands? Come on, you're in church. Don't lie. If you've read little Easter egg hunting, okay? Only a few people. Wow, the last service, it was like a lot of people had some candy already. Anyway, last week we had this Easter egg hunt for our, for our church, kind of as a community outreach. It was 25 degrees, by the way. Uh, and, and like 400 people showed up. You know, when kids want candy, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying? We're going. And so um, anyway, we were there, and this, this person came up to me and, and, and said, uh, Pastor Jared, uh, what is your position on the, on the Easter bunny? How many know there's just times where you don't want to be nice? You know what I'm saying as a pastor? I'm like, pastor hat off. Anyway, but uh, I was just like, I, I didn't know there was a position on that. You know what I mean? First, Hezekiah 12, you know, Easter bunny. No, it, there's, there's no, I said, listen, my, here's my position. You know, I believe in Jesus Christ, and, and, and I'm okay with Easter bunny. I mean, if you want to have the Easter bunny in your house, and you want to have those Cadbury eggs the size of a human being, that's okay with me. I don't care. We have one. Somebody gave it to us. Um. But, but I did think about this Easter Bunny thing when I was walking away, and I thought there's, there's some really important lessons that we all can learn from the Easter Bunny, and I want to share with you five things I learned from the Easter Bunny, okay? This is bonus material. Are you ready? All right, so you can write this in the margin of your notes if you want. It is life-changing what I'm getting ready to share with you, all right? Here's the thing you can learn from the Easter Bunny, that you can walk softly and carry a big carrot, all right? That's the first thing, all right? I'm warming up. I'm warming up. Just hang on with me, okay? Here's another one is the grass is always greener in someone else's basket. Okay, all right? I said I'm warming up. You guys are like, it's not so good. It's not so good. All right, the next one is, I like this one, is that from the Easter Bunny, we can learn that some body parts, it's okay to be floppy. All right? The other one is keep your paws on your own jelly beans, okay? Um, 
And then the last lesson that we can learn from Easter bunnies is this, is that a cute little tail can get a lot of attention. <laughs> All right, is it, you serious? Come on, that's funny. Loosen up. That's pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, I, I, heard a, I heard a more significant story related to Easter about, the, about bunny, bunny rabbits and this there was this guy, he must have been a little different, but he had an Easter bunny, a bunny. He called it an Easter bunny, but it was a bunny for a pet. And so he had this, 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 this pet bunny, and he'd always keep him in the backyard. He lived in kind of a nice climate. He had him in the backyard, had a nice little cage, and fed him every day, and it was all great. But the neighbor had a ferocious dog. And this ferocious dog, if you could hear him speak, he, he would, he, he, it, would, it would be something like this. He'd come up to the fence every single day, I'm going to eat you. I'm going to, your last day is going to be in my mouth soon. And he just felt crazy. This dog was just ferocious. Well, one day, somehow, apparently, the dog got the bunny. And the dog brought the bunny in his mouth, dead to his master. And the master's like, oh my gosh, my neighbor's going to freak out. His, his bunny, this is poor little Easter bunny, he's dead. What have you done, Pfeiffer? Give me that dog. Takes the dog out of his mouth and he's freaking out. What am I going to do with this, this bunny? Bunny, bunny, yeah. Takes the bunny. <laughs> takes the dog out of the dog's mouth. Anyway, takes the bunny out of the dog's mouth and he gets an idea. Oh, I know what I can do. And he goes to the back of his house and he gets the garden hose and he washes the bunny all off. All the blood, he gets all the blood off the the bunny and cleans the bunny all up, makes it all nice and pretty, and, but it's, it's soaking wet, and so he's like, what do I do? Oh, he goes back, he goes into his house, and he gets into his wife's bathroom, and he, and he gets out her hair blower, H-A-R-E, no, just kidding, he gets out his hair blower, just seeing if you're paying attention, and he blows the bunny all up, <laughs> hair's all poofing out, it's, all the white's coming back, it's all prim, proper, and fluffed up, and poofed up, and He's like, all right. He gets the bunny and he decides, tiptoes back into the neighbor's yard, crosses, you know, over and the dog's sleeping and he puts it, you know, uh, he's not making any noise. And so he puts it back into the cage, shuts the cage, props the, you know, the bunny up, tiptoes back, dog's still sleeping, not making any noise, gets in his house. He's thinking, whew, I think I made it. The, you know, the owner won't know. Uh, this is going to be good. Three hours go by. And all of a sudden, the, the owner of the pet bunny shows up, pulls into his driveway, the radio's blasting, shuts off, no noise, silence. It's a little bit of time goes by, and all of a sudden you hear, ah! Ah! Just this blood-curdling scream. And so the, the, do the, the dog owner comes over, he runs over, hey man, hey man, what's up, what's up, are you okay, what's going on, what's, go what's the matter, what's the matter? The, the pet owner, he goes up the bunny, he says, my, my, my bunny, my bunny. Uh, he died three days ago, and I buried him right there. And he's back! He's back! He's back! Come on, come on. All right. The bunny's back. You'll remember that one. You'll remember that. One. I've been saving that for a year. <laughs> so badly wanted to tell that story. Anyway. Today, you can get your worship guides out. You can look on version with us and your iPhone, iPad, whatever if you like. Just put in our zip code or our church name and the bulletin's all inside there if you want to take notes. I encourage you to take notes because, again, you remember what, you know, things when you write them down. But here's, here's the big idea that I want to unpack, all right? And, and hopefully it will connect with you. Here's, here's kind of the thought for the day is that trust leads to truth. Trust leads to truth. Everybody say that. Trust leads to truth. In fact, Jesus speaking to Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 29, it says, Thomas, you believe me because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is kind of known as the resurrection chapter, 
uh, it says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. In other words, if Jesus, who came, lived to die so that when we die, we could live with him forever, if he didn't actually get off this cross, if he wasn't successfully resurrected, then everything that we're here doing, it's worthless. Everything that PD's saying is useless. This event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the foundation of our faith and our faithfulness. It's a big deal, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's based on a, a, a trust or a faith that that actually happened, and it's significant. And I want to back up and just say, I got up this morning, and I got out of bed, and I went into my bathroom, and I turned on the faucet, and I brushed my teeth. Everybody say, praise God, he brushed his teeth. And, and I washed my face, and, and I didn't comb my hair because it always looks this good. And, and then I went into the kitchen, and I made a shake, and I turned on the blender, and I had a great shake, and then I got into my car, and I turned on the car, and, and I drove over here to the church, and then I got in the church, and I turned on the sanctuary lights, and they came on, and, and later on, I put a, a backpack, little battery-powered mic on, and I turned it on, and now it's working, and, and, and all these things, as I'm experiencing them and as I'm going through them, uh, it kind of made me think about a question that needs to be answered. Why do I trust that those things will happen? Why do I believe the lights will come on, the faucet will come on, that, that the mic will work, that you'll show up, that I'll show up. How do I know, how do I trust, how do I believe that those things will happen? Before I answer that, I want to say this. And you can just think about this, and, 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 I, and I believe it's true with all my heart, that there's really no such thing as an unbeliever. There's really no such thing as an unbeliever because we all believe in something or someone. And I just started to prove that to you as we were going through this. All of us are trusting in something. All of us are believing in someone. People everywhere are doing it all the time. And today I had faith that the faucet would yield clean, you know, uh, 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 pure, uh, cold water when I needed, hot water when I needed. I had faith that my alarm would go off today. Thank Jesus it did. I tweeted this morning, he is risen, and so am I. In the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, apparently he's going to have to raise me from the dead because I don't feel like getting up right now. But my alarm helped me with that. That's funny. I, I, anyway, I thought it was funny. <laughs> but I, I had faith that my car would turn over that because, because, you know, thank you for my, for, my, for my Hyundai. Thank you, Lord. It worked. You know, on my way over here today, it worked. I had faith that my microphone would work. And here's what's interesting about all these things and many more that we can mention and you could say. What's amazing about many of these areas is that I believe in these areas, I trust in these areas, but I don't have knowledge or understanding about all these areas. I don't understand some of the, the, the intricacies, the engineering intricacies or the electrical intricacies or the weight displacement on this stage and how it holds me. And, and I understand a lot of these subjects, but I have faith in them. I put my trust in them. Every single day. And what's interesting about our relationship with God is we have a hard time putting our trust and our faith in God because we don't understand it all. We don't have all knowledge because we don't have proof, but we do it in all other arenas of life every single day. We all, all are believers in something or someone. We trust in something. Let's talk about it some more. Why do I trust? Number one in your notes. Because we have an infrastructure of trust. This may be hard initially for you to, to grasp for some of you or to agree with, but, but God, I believe, and could make a case for it if we had more time, has given each of us a foundation 
of trust or belief. He put it in us. It's a gift to believe. It's a gift. We all might believe in different stuff, but we all be given the gift to believe. But he gave us free will to choose what we will believe and what we'll put our trust in. And again, there's no such thing as an unbeliever, but we all believe in something. The atheist believes in something. The atheist believes in himself. The Buddhist believes in Buddha. All right? I mean, there are so many examples of this. Scientists believe in empirical data. Taoists, creationists, evolutionists, they all believe in something or someone. The reason I have faith and the reason you have faith is because of evidence. Everybody say evidence. The evidence. The evidence is why we believe. The lights have a pretty good track record. All right? My car, pretty good track record. Some of you say, my car doesn't. Well, the alarm clock, pretty good track record. And again, I don't understand it all, but I believe in it. As we go forward through this message navigating, I want you to know that faith and trust are interchangeable words. In fact, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. It says, now faith. Everybody say, now faith. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It stands in the gap when you don't see it and when you don't feel it and touch it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things we have not seen. Faith, faith is what we need. Everything in life is dependent upon faith. Why do I trust? Why do I believe? Number two, because I'm not looking for absolute proof. Other areas of our life, we don't need it. But with God, for some reason, I need the proof. I need the proof. Well, let me tell you something. Evidence points to truth. Evidence points to truth. Evidence is like a path. It leads you down to a certain place, and it gives you an opportunity to cross that line to trust. Evidence does that. Opportunity for you to trust in God. Proof ultimately shows beyond a shadow of a doubt whether something is true or something is false. That's what proof does. But faith, or you could say trust, is belief without conclusive proof, but compelling evidence and it's huge to distinguish those two and understand the differences. Sometimes all we have is compelling or convincing, I should, should say, evidence without conclusive proof. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it's in your notes. It's what we trust in but don't see that keeps us going. It's what we trust in but don't see that keeps us going. We live by what we believe, not by what we can see. Now, I'm going to do a little experiment for you now, and, and hopefully this will go right, but I'm going to put my my hands in my pocket. I'll put one hand in my pocket, okay? In this pocket, uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and you guys have an opportunity to answer it. When I pull my hand out of my pocket, there is either going to be lint coming out of this or cash money. Lint or cash money. Now, I'm going to give you the opportunity to put your trust and your faith in what I'm saying. How many of you by a show of hands believe that when I pull my hand out of this pocket, I'm going to pull out cash money? Raise your hand good and high. Raise your hand good and high. Believe in the cash money. Keep your hand up. Look around at all the unbelievers who are going to hell. All the unbelievers. They're all going to hell. All right? All right. Now, okay, listen. In just a second, those of you who raised your hand, you can hang on. You're strong enough. Those of you who raised your hand, I'm getting ready to destroy your faith. I'm getting ready to smash it. Okay? Here's, here, you ready? Here we go. 20 bucks, baby. There it is. Okay? All right? Sarai, because she's in the front row, she's going to get the 20 bucks. You can do whatever you want with that. Give it to somebody because Jesus loves you to give. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. So here's the thing. I said I'm going to crush your faith. Those of you who raised your hand, crush your faith. I'm going to smash your faith. What do you mean? Because you just went, when I pulled that money out, you just went from evidence to proof. You just went from faith to knowledge. 
As soon as I showed you the money, faith was gone because you had convincing proof. Before that, you had compelling evidence. What do you mean? Well, before, the, those of you raised your hand, and by the way, not many of you raised your hand, but for the people who believe in me, you believed in me because you're thinking things like, well, one possibility, it's a gamble, 50-50. I might win 20 bucks. I'm just going to raise my hand. That's some group. I don't know how many. But other of you might have thought, he's a good man. He means what he says. He's trustworthy. You know, he's good looking. No, I don't know if that doesn't fit in the analogy, but it's still true. Uh, so you thought those kind of things. So there was a group of you that thought that. That's what brought you to that. It wasn't proof. It was evidence. Are you tracking with me? And this is what happens for many of us is we, we're looking for the wrong thing. I, I can remember, let me give you a, a, an illustration. When I was younger, <laughs> I remember going on a retreat. And in preparation for the retreat, we had to do, uh, to kind of make our team cohesive, which wasn't very cohesive and very tight. And there was all kinds of nipping and talking and everybody's kind of in different places. We had to do what's called a ropes course. And it was up in Alton Bay, New Hampshire. It was a cool experience. And we had to do this particular element called the trust fall. Now, the trust fall had a, a, a particular location in the woods, and we got up on this precipice, and it felt like wicked high, but it was probably like 8 to 10 feet high. And just imagine that, okay? And what happened is I had to do this trust fall with my team. My team is down, uh, you know, sea level. They're down there, and they're crossing their arms kind of like in a horseshoe, and they're crisscrossing, and I had to stand with my heels to them and my, t my toes away from them, cross my arms, close my eyes, pray to God that I don't die. No, that's not exactly what happened. But I had to just fall backwards into their arms and trust them. Now, I want to be honest with you. I didn't trust them. <laughs> I got to be honest with you about them. They weren't sure they could catch me. There were some weak, scraggly little people down there like, oh my God, he's pretty big. I hear he's made of lead. You know, and they're just sweating down there, shaking, shaking. But oh, somebody got some leadership down there and with some convincing, you know, uh, communication, with some information, with the right motivation, they kept building me up. Come on, come on, Derek, we can, you can do it. You can, trust us, trust, trust us. <laughs> well, eventually, they moved me through relationship with some, with some evidence, with some information. We did it before. I'm like, yeah, but he was only like 70 pounds. Anyway, but they, they convinced me. And eventually I decided, you know what? I'm going to fall back. I did that trust fall. Woo! Felt like an eternity. It was probably on a sec only a second. As soon as I fell into their arms, they started screaming, we did it. Drop me on the ground. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we did it. And I'm hanging on. We're all tight. We're yelling. We're screaming. What a rush. In like, in like a second, our relationship was like tenfold stronger and better because of one word trust. Are you tracking with me? Do you see where I'm going with this, guys? Trust is foundational. There can be, uh, in your pursuit of God, the need for trust. You need to be convinced of certain things for sure. We need some information brought with relevance. Agreed. But in the end, all of us, to have a relationship with God, need to take that leap of faith. We need to cross that line of trust and believe that he is who he says he was. He did what he said he did, and he rose from the dead. Otherwise, what happens is we go to one of two polarities. We go towards intellectual assent, where I just need more knowledge, more knowledge. Well, that won't satisfy, I promise you. Or you go all the way over to here to kind of this soulish, mystical, liturgical, religious, you know, do's and don'ts and all that kind of stuff. And that won't fulfill you either. 
It's, it's not a religious thing. It's a relationship thing. And every relationship here and here is built on trust. It's built on trust. At the end of the day, faith is not about, and trust is not about what we see. It's not doubt-free. It's not about feelings. Feelings, I got to do it. Whoa, 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 feelings. Tell, tell somebody he can sing, he can sing. Anyway, <laughs> it's not about that. Feelings, you're not supposed to minimize those. Facts, they're real and legit, but faith or trust is above that in relationship. Proof is not going to push you over the edge into trust in a relationship? No, I won't do that. Here's another reason I trust, number three, because it's a highly intelligent thing to do, to trust. There will always be a line of demarcation where certainty cannot be attained, and you must move from the need for conclusive proof to compelling evidence. Certainty will not be enough. You'll have to decide to trust. Jesus did provide a lot of compelling evidence and convincing proofs. In fact, in your notes, he did this. He provided a forecast. In other words, he predicted his death. He told Judas, you know, you will betray me. He said, Peter, you will deny me. 400 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of forecasts. He provided fringe benefits, or we could say promises, Many, 6,000 in the Bible, but one of them in, in uh, John chapter 11, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you want to have that life, you have to come through me. That's a pretty good promise. He said that in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. The same thing. This promise, fringe benefits. Many scriptures in your notes there to back what, what I'm saying. He provided facts. Everybody say facts. All right, this is kind of the proof part. This is where a lot of people like to go, especially in New England, kind of that intellectual side that I need, I need the proof, I need the facts, show me the facts. Well, Acts tells us that he provided many convincing proofs. He came and he said, hey, here's my hands. Remember, remember, remember what happened? Here's my feet. He, he walking through walls. He showed his glorified body, but at the same time, he could do certain things. He, could, he, he, he was recognizable by them. He, he showed himself to over 500 people on one day. He revealed himself to all the apostles one by one. He showed himself to them. He provided many facts or convincing proofs, even his own brother. James, you know, uh, was changed because of this. In fact, the next one is he provided fruit. I think this is the most powerful one and relevant to us today, 2,000 years later, is that this meeting testifies to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, Peter, who denied Christ, couldn't even stand up to a little slave girl and said, don't want you hanging out with Jesus, don't you know? Oh, no, I don't know him. Three times he did that, only later was preaching to 3,000 people. Uh, saw a guy healed, had his life threatened. They, they beat him, all these different things. He didn't care. He said, I cannot help talking about what I've both seen and heard, it said in the book of Acts. That was Peter. James got in front of him. He became a powerful leader, the brother of Jesus. Is anybody who would have doubts, it'd be a family member. Turn to your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so there were convincing proofs, there was fruit that followed, and it's still following to this day. In fact, overnight, the Jewish traditions that people practice for hundreds of years, they abandoned, just like that. A faith that never existed. Christianity didn't exist before this. They, they called it the way for a while there, but Christianity started because of an event. This is only, this faith 
first of all, is, is, is susceptible to, to generation. If we, if we, it's, we're only one generation away from extinction, but this has been going on generation after generation since the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for 2,000 years because of an event. Amen, that's what happened. It's the foundation of our faith and faithfulness. Well, you might say, well, 2,000 years ago, I don't really consider that evidence, not necessarily proof. And I would just say, you, you, you need to investigate. You need to look a little bit deeper. You maybe need to get past some of your biases, perhaps. Maybe some of your uh, mis, uh, misrepresentation from other people. Religious people represent things wrong and, of course, creates kind of a jaded view of things. Maybe you need to just kind of get past, maybe hurt. You're upset with God, and so you, you reject God. and you, 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 you point your questions at him, but you implicate him in the process. And he's okay with receiving your doubts and receiving your questions, but don't, don't chuck the relationship with him in the process. But, but at the end of the day, the evidence will not be enough for some, and regardless should not be the foundation and cannot be the foundation of our faith. Proof still can't kick us over into trust. All relationships are based on trust here, and all relationships are based on trust here. And God wants our trust. And I've learned over 40 years of being a Christian, nearly 40 years of being a Christian, that trust leads to truth. I learned that that day in that trust fall, and I've learned it in my relationship with God ever since. But trust has to be built. How is it built? I came back from a trip my son and I uh, went down to Louisiana, Baton Rouge, down by the bayou. Don't be by yourself in the bayou, okay? That's what my friends always say. But on my way back from Baton Rouge back to Boston, I had this experience that I want to share with you. And, and I'm going to put some names to these characters just to make the story come alive. But one of the things I learned when I travel is that you can't count on media or music or, you know, any kind of entertainment when you're, when you're on a plane. Something could happen. It's whatever. And so the best entertainment is people watching. Can I have an amen out there or, or an amen? People are funny, okay? And so... I was in the first row right of coach right behind first class. It's like primo. You can see in the first class, what's going on in there? They're making money right now. And then I can look all the way back at coach, you know, and just see all the people in the back, you know, just like the, 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 the herd of cattle, you know what I mean? And the kids at the back and all that stuff. And so I'm there, and I come through, and I'm walking through first class, and I see this guy, and I'm just going to call him Mr. West Coast. Mr. West goes, he's tan, and he's the man, and he's got this suit on, and he's got all this high-tech stuff, and beep, 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 and he's, you know, and he's got this Bloody Mary in his hand, and he's just, just living large, and he's making money right now, and, and, then, and then a few minutes later, I see this other guy come through, and I'm just going to call him Mr. Freshman, and he walks all the way down the aisle, and he doesn't know what he's doing, and he gets all the way to the back, and he realizes there's no room back here for my stuff, and so he's one of those guys that comes through the crowd when all the traffic's going that way. Don't you hate those kind of people? I mean, he needed help. I didn't help him, but I definitely enjoyed watching him. And, and Mr. Freshman, he's just lost. And then a little bit later comes this, 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 this mom with her couple of kids behind her. And she knew what she was doing with the kids, but she was clearly a wreck about flying. I'm going to call her Nervous Nancy. And she's white-knuckled, and she's looking down, and she's completely self-absorbed, and she's nippy and snippy with the kids. Anyway, we get on the plane. We take off. We get up to a certain altitude, the captain gets on, you know, tension KMR choppers, we're at 70 million feet, prepare for launch. No, it's, it wasn't that, but everybody's, everybody has different ways to interpret what's going on there. And it levels off, and it levels off, and we're flying, and everything's good for a little while, and then all of a sudden, whoa, 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 whoa. you know that turbulence when you just, the pit of your stomach, it drops. And when that's going on, I watch these three characters, okay? Mr. West Coast is just like, 
Now, he's sitting kind of cushy in his chair, so some of the turbulence is being absorbed by first class. Don't get me wrong, but he earned it to get there, and he's just making money still. Woo, 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 woo. Mr. Freshman's like, pulls his belt. Wham! He goes from a 36 to a 6, and, and he's reaching over his neighbor, and he's pulling up the window. Are we going down? Excuse me, ma'am. I'm really sorry. I just got to make sure we're still up. You know, and that's going on. And then nervous Nancy's got the, got the, the, you know, the bag. And she's in, she's just like this with the bag. Oh, God. I pray that, oh. And she's talking to Jesus. And, she, and her kids are passed out, oblivious. And she's like wanting to die. All right? All that to say, we finally land the plane in Logan. Everybody track with me? Everybody lands. Everybody's fine. Here's the point. Who had the best flight? Mr. Frequent Flyer, West Coast, had the best flight. Because he put his trust, he directed his trust, the object of his trust was that 737. And he had had a lot of time in the saddle, and he traveled all over the place. He directed his trust, he put his trust in the 737. They all landed. They all had a measure of faith. They all had a mustard seed of faith. But some of them had a better ride than somebody else. Mr. Freshman, he got there, but he was struggling. Miss Nancy, she was sick as a dog, but she landed. But Mr. West Coast, he had a great flight. Here kind of is why that is so important because we all have different amounts of faith, but, but, but we have to submit. In order for, for us to grow in our faith, we have to stop standing still. And many of you, and this is where I want to go with this, many of you, 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 come, you, you think God won't put you on his plane. You got too much baggage. You got all these issues. No, God says, come on. All you need is a mustard seed of faith. Everybody can get on the plane. But how that ride goes is determined by what you do with that faith. What you do once you, get, once you put your faith in that object, you can't stay the same. And what happens every year, in my opinion, at Easter and Christmas is that people come in and they kind of make that connection and they make that decision, but they don't move forward because they've not done more than just, okay, I'm going to make the decision. But they haven't put their trust, their faith, their action has not taken root in their lives. An example. When I was in college, I had this, this, this professor, actually, who I'd go to sporting events with, Mr. Haney, and we'd go to football events. And I used to enjoy to go to football events with him because he never said anything crass to the refs or inappropriate, but he made fun of them. And I just went to watch him. I wasn't really a particularly big fan of high school football, although it's like a religion out there. But we get to the games, and he would yell at these refs who were standing around. They're just standing around, and he'd say, you guys, you guys, you listen to me. Move around, you're killing the grass. You got to move, you're killing the... Turn to your neighbor and say, you got to move, you're killing the grass. See, if you, if, when you're stuck between doubt and unbelief and the need for your relationship to be strong and vibrant, if you want to be able to absorb some of the turbulence in your life, some of the bumps that we're all going to have and Jesus promised we would, you got to start moving around because you're killing the grass. So it's not enough to put your faith in the 737. It's important that you frequent the 737 and build that relationship with the 737 in order to grow. Are you tracking with me? And some people don't grow in their relationship and build that because they just put their trust in it real quick and then they just went away like it's all going to stick. It's a relationship, not a religion. Are you tracking with me, everybody out there? Here's the last reason we trust. Because trust is a must. Trust is a must. In Luke 23, 46, it says this, Father, I place, Jesus speaking, Father, I place my life in your hands. Jesus, the Son of God, placed his trust in his Father. How hard 
and difficult must that have been. Even knowing what was going to happen. The naked eye never could have seen or predicted ultimately what was really going on there and what God intended. But this assignment was not possible without a son who trusted his father. Not possible without trust. Mission not accomplished without trust. I submit to you that many of the missions of your life, the assignments of your life that God knows better than you do, I promise, are not possible until you surrender your trust to him. Jesus did it, and he wants us to do the same. I wonder if you would transfer your trust from you to God today. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. That's what we do. We keep trying to do it on our own. We need proof. What about you? Do you believe in the resurrected Lord? How do you view the Son of God? Let me close with this illustration and see if it makes sense to you. I, 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 there was a, a story about a father and son. They had a huge art collection. They loved art. They, had, they were very wealthy. They had Rembrandts and Picassos and you know, Da Vinci's and, 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 you know, all the great, I don't know anything about that stuff. I just know the name, Raphael's and all those different things. Incredible art collection. Amazing. Well, what happened was later on in life, the son was called into duty because he was young enough to go into the Vietnam War. He goes into the Vietnam War, and shortly after that, he's killed in, the, in, 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 in action. The father's devastated. They have a funeral. A few days after the funeral, knock on the door. There's a soldier at the door. He says, sir, may I come in? Can I speak to you? Uh, yes, come on in. He comes in. He says, I knew your son. I knew your son very well. In fact, I want you to know that he loved you. Uh, he spoke very highly of you. He loved, he loved uh, everything about you. He, he, he loved art just like you loved art. And, and uh, he was really important to us. And I want you to know that he was a very brave man. And he loved you tremendously. And, and if it were not for him, I, I would not be here today. In fact, the day he died, he saved my life. And he saved countless others on the day he died. And, and I'm not much of an artist, but but I, I painted this picture of your son as a sign of respect and out of honor for his life. And, and I'd like to give that to you. And the father took that and he was immediately moved to tears. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and, and he was just so moved by this. And, and he took that picture and he brought it into his great room and he put it over the mantle in his great room. And anytime people came over his house, that was the thing he wanted to talk about. That was the thing that he wanted to share. That was the thing that he wanted to point to. That was the thing he wanted everybody to know and everybody to see was his son. His son. It was important to him. Well, later on, the father died, and his estate and all his possessions was set to be in an auction, and people from all over the world with lots of money wanted to come and get all the stuff in hopes of claiming some of that famous artwork and, that they had collected, and, and they had the auction. The auction said, before we start, it's very important that we start this way. Today, we'll begin with the portrait of this man's son, who will give $100 for it. Crickets. Silence. Nobody said anything. He said it again, and nobody said anything. And finally, the people began to kind of jeer the auctioneer. Come on, we need to move on to the more important things. Let's get on to the other stuff. And he said, no, this is where we're going to start. Who will give $100? And finally, somebody from the back spoke up and said, I will. I don't have a lot of money. In fact, it's all I have. But I would be honored to buy the son's portrait. And it happened to be the gardener. And the gardener, you know, said, I'll buy it. And so the auctioneer said, going once, going twice, three times, sold to the father's gardener. And, and everybody cheered, and everybody went from jeering to cheering. They were so excited because now they can move on to the good stuff. Now they can get what they want. Now they can move forward with, the, with their agenda. And with that, the auctioneer made an announcement. He said, ladies and gentlemen, this auction is concluded today. 
The father, before he died, he made one clear stipulation that you almost hear. He said, whoever bought the portrait of his son gets everything else, including the estate. This man is not just the owner of the portrait of the, of the son, but he's the owner of everything. Whoever gets the son gets it all. Would you stand to your feet so I can pray with you? Hopefully you'll get this. I'm here to tell you something that sometimes we miss because we want proof. I'm here to tell you that trust leads to truth. I'm here to tell you that everything you really want in life, everything you really want, he already knows what you want, but it comes with surrender. Jesus did it, and he wants you to do the same thing. Everything is wrapped up in the sun. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and let me pray with you? God has no problem with your wants, your needs, your desires. He just wants to be first. He wants to be the first relationship. He's okay with you having other loves even, other passions. He just wants to be first. What would make Easter different? It's not you make it a, just make a decision. Not you just put your trust in the 737, but you stop killing the grass and you move forward in your faith and you get connected to a group of people and to a community that actually can build that relationship just like any other relationship in this life. But this one, it's the most important one. And so if you're here today and you're prepared because God is knocking on your heart to transfer your trust from you to Jesus and what he did for you, even when you wouldn't maybe believe, even when you might reject him, even when you might turn your back on him, he demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, he died, he was buried, and then he rose. And he conquered this life so you could conquer anything in this life yourself. But it comes with surrender first. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just honoring your neighbor, the, the person to your right or to your left. If that's you, between me, you, and God, would you boldly raise your hand and say, I decided to transfer my trust. I'm not messing around. I want to do that. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. There's five over here. God bless you. Two over here. Thank you. Another one. Thank you. God bless you. Anywhere in the back there that I'm missing. God bless you. Thank you. Is there anybody else in the middle? Thank you very much. Thank you. Anybody in the back I'm missing? All the way in there. Thank you, sister. All the way in the back. I see that hand. Thank you so much. I see another one. Thank you so much. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Church, would you do this with me? If you've raised your hand, this prayer won't save you, but believe it in your heart will. Church, you've said this prayer. Maybe you need to refresh yourself. Say, Jesus, right now, of my own volition and free will, I choose to place my trust not in me, but in Jesus. I invite you into my heart, not just to save me, but to lead me and to be my Lord. I'm not going to kill grass anymore. I'm going to move forward in my faith by getting connected in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you. Father, I, help. I pray that you help them see the importance of being connected, not only to you, but to your people. Not a perfect place, not a perfect people, but if we don't create margin for this important relationship, how do we expect to grow? How will we get all those other things? He who gets the sun gets it all. I pray in Jesus' name that we see it's all wrapped up in the sun. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap. Thank you for Easter. God bless you. Thank you, guys.